0: This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine brightly. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, guys, it's Dr. Vic here, and welcome to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment as we go in and dive deep with Robert Plotkin. Robert is awesome. Robert is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness, a leading blog and Top 40 iTunes podcast on science, technology, and mindfulness. In his Tap into Mindfulness program, he teaches people how to be less distracted by their smartphones and how to retake control over their time to be more focused Productive and creative. His unique approach to technology and mindfulness stems from his combination of expertise in technology, as a MIT-educated computer science scientist, decades of experience with Japanese martial arts and training in mindfulness-based stress reduction. He has been written seven books on the social impact of computer technology. He is a co-founder of the Hack Your Mind program at MIT and the host of Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Robert is that guy. He is a, a brainiac, a man full of wisdom. And what I love the most is he takes a lot of the science side of things in this podcast and he really brings in the Japanese martial arts type of style, how it te- led him to mindfulness and so much more. I love this episode so much that we're actually going to do a part two series. So this is part one of two. So as we dive deep into this, I hope you enjoy it. And then we'll have another one to follow up to go even deeper with the material with Robert. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and enjoy this amazing interview with Robert Plotkin. Well, Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Vick. I'm really glad to be here. I'm excited to have you on. There's, I mean, mindfulness is a, a topic that I love to uh, dive into, and, and so much more. And then looking at your everything that you do, it's uh, and with with uh, explaining how modern technology and how it affects us and whatnot. Uh, I'm I'm just so happy to have you on.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, I, this is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, I have a couple of different relevant backgrounds that come together. Uh, I've got training in computer science. I studied computer science at MIT. I've been a patent lawyer for over 20 years, focusing on, on high tech. And uh, I'm a professional. I run my own business and I have to stay really focused while using technology. So I've struggled with how to do that. And, you know, I, I, I came up with a lot of techniques that I've used on my own to stay focused and mindful and productive while having to use technology. You know, it's not like I have the option of uh, putting all the technology away or not (laughs) using it. Um, And uh, I also have a background in martial arts. I've been studying martial arts since I was a kid, over 35 years now, and was very fortunate to always have teachers who taught it with a strong mindfulness component, you know, not just as a sport or, or something that's competitive only, but there was a real uh, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, uh, integrative aspect to how I've always been taught it. And, uh, you know, in in recent years, I found a way to bring uh, what I've learned from that to how I use technology. And I've become really passionate about then helping other people uh, do the
0: same. I love that. Now, was it martial arts Mm -hmm. that got you into mindfulness? Or what was your journey that led you Uh, toward mindfulness and being passionate about it.
1: Yeah, it really was. I would say martial arts was my my big entree into mindfulness. Uh, Studied since I was about 10 years old. Um, I'm getting towards 50 now. Uh, So it's been for a long time. And, you know, it's interesting. I remember being aware of the term mindfulness for a long time, but never really practicing meditation or studying it. Uh, you know, doing yoga here and there. And I I had done some guided meditation, dabbling in it for a long time. And in the martial arts world, at least where I was, the word mindfulness usually wasn't used. But uh, there are other concepts and practices and states of mind that are mindful states of mind. You know, in Japanese martial arts, you you work on developing a state of mind, it's called zanshin, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. It, it roughly means a state of attentive, all-encompassing awareness. You can think of it in, in practical terms as being very calmly, not in a, in a tense or bracing way, awareness of all of your surroundings so that you can be ready to respond to an attack whenever it comes. I say calm because it's not like your muscles are tense, your fists are clenched, and you're looking around worried about being attacked. Uh, if you really achieve that state of Zan Shin, you'd be very calm. I could be engaged in a conversation with you and be fully focused on my conversation with you, not glancing over my shoulder you know, to see if someone's <laughs> gonna attack me, but but simultaneously aware of all my surroundings. You know, one one example I've heard given is that if there was a, a master, uh, kneeling in, uh, it's called seiza, you know, kneeling on your knees, talking to a student, uh, focused in attention that if, if the door were to open by an inch on the other side of the room, the master would notice it. Uh, you know, not, not, again, not be braced or ready to jump up. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a calm, all encompassing readiness and awareness. And sometimes in, in the West, you know, in, in, uh, Law enforcement, you sometimes hear it called situational awareness, might be an aspect, an aspect that's similar to Zanshin. But so that was the kind of thing I was trained in. And then late in later years, as mindfulness became something that was more popular in the West, and I started hearing about other people uh, doing mindfulness meditation and reading about it, I remember thinking, Oh, this seems very familiar to me (laughs) already. Even though I hadn't really done extended sitting meditation, a lot of what people were talking about working on and developing through, through sitting meditation felt to me like I had had some of that experience from martial arts training. And the last five years or so, I have, uh, developed more of a, a serious regular meditation practice, including studying, studying it under, under teachers and doing it with other people and on my own. And I've really, um, benefited a lot from from coming at mindfulness from both of those directions. You know, I feel like the two, the martial arts and the and the sitting mindfulness meditation really complement each other in a lot of ways. And I feel like um, uh,
0: I'm able to bring both of those to how I use technology as well. I love that. And <clears throat> what has been, because, you know, mindfulness is this, there's like this big movement of mindfulness. Gary Vee says it's going to be the next big industry that's coming up. And what is you know the biggest thing that you've gotten or have experienced as you've been practicing mindfulness?
1: Yeah, I mean it's becoming very big, and I would say whenever that happens with something, particularly when it comes from a a tradition that's been around for a long time, let me just say whenever it goes mainstream, it's a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, it's great and amazing that something like mindfulness is being brought to a larger set of people, you know, who haven't experienced it before. That's great and incredible. The, the, the risk that we always have to be attuned to is that it will get, um, you know, watered down or corrupted in some way. And definitely seen that, seen that with martial arts and the debate you know the debate within the martial arts world is never ending about that and <laughs> and you know probably will never be fully resolved uh about about even what constitutes corrupting uh the tradition versus uh bringing it forward and modernizing it and improving it and and adapting it to current circumstances uh you know i think what what i've gotten is uh one generally aside from practical benefits like being able to be more productive mm-hmm. uh, and, and aside from any relationship to technology i've just gained greater self-awareness uh and that's something i'm interested in in always improving on uh awareness of what i am experiencing in all ways in physically in my body uh what I'm feeling emotionally, what my thoughts are. You know, one thing I've, I've learned from it, and I think this is probably common for a lot of people, you know, I'm here in the U.S., uh, you know, you probably have listeners elsewhere, but I, one thing I've learned is that, you know, when I meditate, pay attention to thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations. Thoughts are very easy for me to notice. <laughs> you know, the way we're, our education in the West is very thought-focused, right? developing logical reasoning, on thinking, on critical thinking, 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 thinking. Uh, And I, you know, I found that uh, both, you know, education is very imbalanced. And then I found through meditation, that my myself, and I have been imbalanced in a way, um, in, in my ability to be aware of what these different elements of my experience are, and you know, even to just divide it into three thoughts, feelings, or emotions and bodily sensations may be too simple. I've heard people in different traditions break it up into twenty different types <laughs> of you know experiences, uh, uh, and I keep I keep exploring more of that. So I find it's it's just an ongoing opportunity. To gain self-knowledge. That, that's one. I just want to put that first because you know, in technology for mindfulness, which I founded and, and, and in the course that, that we've launched, Tap into Mindfulness, we are very focused on the practical benefits of mindfulness. But I just want to make clear that, of course, that's not, that's not all that there
0: is. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and, in, and especially in the in the West here, and especially like in the United States, we're very like you're saying, uh, a doing a very left brain dominant society to where you know knowledge is power. That's what everyone always states nowadays, mm-hmm. and it's it's like you know one of the things, one of the most infamous quotes that I love the most from Lao Tzu that states that if you if you master others, that is that is strength, but if you master yourself, that's true power.
1: Yeah, that is true. That's right. Yeah, and you know, and in martial arts, so we often say then, then to 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 know and master both the other and yourself. You know, that's that's true mastery. And and in any interaction, you know, I'm a I'm a patent lawyer as well. That's what I do by day. That's uh, so I spend a lot of my time and energy. You know, in lawyering, negotiating, and even if it's not very adversarial, like in a lawsuit, mm-hmm. you know, to really succeed in a negotiation with someone else, um, if you only know yourself, or you. Only know them. You know, you're not going to be as successful as if you you know both yourself and the other party and can bring that into the
0: interaction. I love that, Robert. How much do you think that the more you know yourself, it's easier to know someone else?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's it's really super important uh, to to and and very helpful to to know yourself. It it you you know one thing you can do in in mindfulness is to by stepping back, you know, we talk about uh, getting a distance and taking that posture of an observer of your own experience, right? You can, uh, uh, you can have the experience of seeing your own thoughts almost in the same way as you would see them as if they were in another person. You know, you get that degree of objectivity where you're not wrapped up in the thought and, and what we call overly identifying Mm-hmm. with the thought, and I found that by, by being able to step back and see my thoughts, my thought processes, the kinds of automatic habit, habits of thought that my mind engages in, I'm then able to apply that better to other people as well than before I was able to do that with myself. And although it's interesting, the flip can be true as well. You know, I, I know I've had teachers who've said to me, very, and I found it very helpful, if you're having a hard time, uh, let's say doing something like having compassion for yourself, it's another thing in the West, right? There's a lot of self-judgment, mm-hmm. uh, self-loathing, and I know, you know, Jack Kornfeld, who's one of the one of the major uh, 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 Western uh, mindfulness teachers who brought mindfulness to the U.S. Yes, you know, back in the '60s, you know, he said when he came here, he and, and other people at that time realized that. When, when they were teaching people mindfulness, it, it brought up a lot of self-judgment and self-loathing that, that's so common here. I'm not going to speculate as to where that comes from in our culture necessarily, <laughs> you know, but it was just a fact. And, and when he brought that back to his Eastern teachers, it was, it was like news to them. They said, you know, we really haven't dealt with this, this degree of self-loathing uh, <laughs> uh, before. They had to adapt their way of teaching. Point being that it, it, it's been helpful to me to be suggested that, you know, if you're having a hard time being compassionate for yourself, try being compassionate to another person. We can often find it easier yes. to, to be compassionate towards someone and gain the skill of compassion and then apply it back to ourselves. So we can
0: work in both directions, I've, I've found. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's it's just something that came to mind. I'm like, you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, the more you, everything is a mirror of you, and the more you get to know you and understand your body, like you said, body sensations, right? Body never lies, so it's one of those things where. You can kind of be like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm feeling this or, oh, wow, I have this feeling here. I'm going to go this way. And if you're like, for me, I, I, I always trust my, my, my gut at all times as much as I can. Sometimes the mind will intervene and be like, hey, what about this? Uh, and it never works out. It never works out the way do when I do that. Um, but it's one of those things where you, it helps guide you in many different things, negotiations, life, and so much more.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 very uh, it's constantly um, illuminating for me. As you said, you know you pay attention to your body, then you want to apply your mind as well. I find that yeah, the body is always telling me something important. Uh, it may not be what it feels like immediately, though. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you have to dig underneath the surface of it. Uh, you know, if you might have a feeling. Uh, of anger and then you notice it is it's in your body in the form of tension in your muscles but then you dig beneath the anger and you find that beneath the anger is fear or sadness or something else so yes your body is telling you something that is true and that needs to uh, be paid attention to but you may unravel more behind it than you initially feel you know and so yeah there's always an interaction of mind body and spirit
0: together you know going through those different layers of the onion <laughs> I love it. No, so true. Now, you mentioned awareness a lot. And, you know, in today's society, we are very tech driven in so many ways. And it's only going to continue to get more from the trends. And you probably know this better than I do. Um, How does technology get in the way first? And then we'll talk about how it can help us.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think right now, it's it's so easy to to understand and directly experience how technology can get in the way. Before I got on this call with you, right, I put Do Not Disturb on both of my devices, because I've got two of them active right now, my my smartphone's <laughs> on, uh, it's, it's put away, and I'm talking to you through my laptop, you know, and I had to be mindful to silence all of the notifications on those devices so that they are not beeping or buzzing at me while we're speaking and distracting me from staying present with you in the conversation. I think that, to me, the constant interruptions is the is the biggest, uh, biggest way in which technology can interrupt our, our focus and concentration, and that is generally getting worse as people have more devices that they're using, as people tend to be doing more work using technology. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm sure many people listening or at their job or even home, you know, with their family engaging in a larger and larger percentage of their tasks every day using some kind of technology and thereby getting interrupted. You know, you go to use your smartphone to check the weather But that doesn't stop it from notifying you about someone posting on Facebook. And so it means that we need to be really proactive about managing our technology, how it's configured, such as by turning on Do Not Disturb or changing other settings, and then practicing and developing new habits within ourselves to respond to and interact with technology differently. And I I mentioned briefly the course that I developed called Tap into Mindfulness, which is targeted specifically at that. Uh, It's a series of essentially guided meditation exercises. I say essentially because it was inspired by both mindfulness meditation and my martial arts background. The exercises are not just sitting and paying attention to your experience. They all involve taking out your smartphone and interacting with it while you're paying attention to your experience in certain specific ways. Much like in a martial arts class, you would have an opponent facing off against you, throwing an attack at you in a structured, safe way so that you can practice specific skills for responding to that attack. Uh, these exercises are very analogous to that, where the smartphone is like your attacker. And I say that, you know, it may sound a little (laughs) strange to think (laughs) of your smartphone as attacking you. But let me ask you, you know, when you're sitting there doing work, and you hear that text message beep, you know, internally, physiologically, don't you feel something that's a bit like, you know, getting attacked?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs)
1: You know your your heart may race your muscles may tense up your breath may stop or or get shallow you know you feel you feel a lot like the way you do when you're when you're getting attacked and that was the insight i had uh, as, as I was getting more and more wrapped up into and distracted by technology was that, oh, you know, this feels like having a punch thrown at me. And then I thought, oh, you know what? I've had a lot of experience learning how to respond skillfully <laughs> to a punch getting thrown at me. <laughs> uh, I can use a lot of those same skills to change how I habitually interact with technology. And that's how I developed these exercises. And I developed them and practiced
0: them all first for myself. Before putting them into the course, love that, and that's all in the course. Um, what else about the course do you have go, uh, that that is that entails
1: yeah it's it's uh, a series of exercises that they what the way in which they differ from each other is they all essentially simulate a different type of typical interaction that you'd have with your smartphone, like reading an email message. Or just waking up the phone. Uh, in fact, if you'd like, although we're just on audio, uh, I can I can quickly give you a taste of what one of these feels like because all you need is your own phone. Okay, so and your and your listeners can follow along with us. Um, I'd ask you to take out your phone and wake it up.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: Okay. And now just this, I I always say to do this, like Simon says, be very careful not to tap on anything until I, until I say, I say, I say that because when I do this in person, very often I say, wake up your phone and people habitually wake it up and tap on something. You know, they, they, they tap on a, on an icon for an app. So just wake up the phone and now just think of an app that often really sucks you into it. You know, something where you go to use it and an, then an hour later you think, well, wait, wait, wait a second. What just happened here? How did I how did I watch videos for an hour or get stuck on Facebook for an hour? What's what's the app that most sucks you in? You don't have to admit it to me. You know, you don't have to tell me what that is. Um I'm looking at my email icon, which has a little badge that says 89 over it, which means <laughs> you know, how many emails are there. Okay. Now so here's the exercise slowly move your finger, whatever finger you'd normally use to tap on, slowly move your finger towards that icon and then stop just before you touch the screen. So your finger is hovering over that icon but not touching it. And now I want you to pay attention to your experience. So first, bodily sensations. You know, or What are you feeling maybe in your chest? Is there any tightness? Uh, breath, has it gotten shallower or sped up or slowed down or or stopped Um, feeling any um, anything in your head throbbing sweat maybe in your palms how about thoughts you know what thoughts are going through your mind now any thoughts about the phone or about that app and any feelings you know common ones and and anyone who's done guided meditation would know I'm just making suggestions for things you might be feeling. I'm not telling you what to feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm asking you to see if you can notice whatever it is that you actually are feeling right now, like maybe some anticipation or irritability or, or maybe excitement. You know, Uh, I've had people tell me they feel anger towards me at making them do this because it feels like torture, (laughs) (laughs) you know, know? so this is, this is a, I'm racing through this in the course. We spend a much longer amount of time really pausing and sitting with whatever it happens to be that you're thinking or feeling or, 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 or experiencing in your body. And, you know, then you can of course pause here for as long as you'd like. And when you're done, you pull your finger away and put the phone back to sleep. Now, so that's an example. And I just want to call out two things about the exercise. Uh, one is that it is a training in becoming aware of what your experience is while you're using a phone. Because ask yourself, how often do you wake up your phone, race automatically you know, to that icon, tap on it, without really being intentionally aware of what your experience is, what you're thinking, why you're doing what you're doing, with any of those things, how often. So this is a training in in becoming aware, to build that muscle of awareness. The second thing is the exercise consciously, intentionally introduces a pause into your Habit loop. It's intending to try to break the automatic cycle of desire to use the phone, followed by picking up the phone, followed by waking it up, followed by tapping, followed by then going down that rabbit hole. You know, automatically inserting a pause, and we do this in martial arts training. You know, uh, I, I think of many times when uh, I've done exercises where someone's throwing a punch at my face, and the exercise is just to stand there and do nothing. Hmm. And practice breathing, relaxing to unlearn the habit of reacting automatically. It's breaking the instinctive fight or flight response. And and I've heard it interestingly described as can be for different people, fight, flight, freeze, faint, right? You know, you might have a different reaction. and, And it's interesting to, you know, to do an exercise like that and pay attention to what your own dominant instinctive reaction is many people it is a flight or freeze i could say for me from all the years that freeze is my dominant one you know that i've had to try to unlearn a lot punch comes out muscles tense up freeze maybe even turn away or flinch you know there definitely are people who have an automatic fight response someone attacks and their their instinctive response is to attack back instinctively but the training is to unlearn that learn to pause—I don't want to say do nothing, but to be present with the attack and be fully fu- be able to see it as it's coming at you. Observe it. I love the analogy. I'm sure you know. I'm not going to spoil the end of the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but but that that's the the visual I often have in my mind. The, the final scene, you know, where uh, the the agents are all shooting. Uh, uh, barrage of bullets at Neo, right? And they pause in the air. And he, you know, takes one, kind of turns it over. It's as if he has all the time in the world to examine it. That's the metaphor, right? To be able to pause, not flinch, not, tr- not even to dodge and, and not get hit. You know, the more skillful or more advanced in a way response would be to be able to pause and just see the attack calmly with presence for what it is and you know the end of the metaphor there is that once he's able to see it the presence of seeing it is actually what takes the power out of the attack now of course in real life you know you don't want to then get hit with the bullets you do (laughs) you do learn in martial arts training to block or move out of the way or do other things but none you can't really do any of those things skillfully if, you're, if your instinctive fight or flight response is still kicking in and controlling you, you have to first essentially take take a step back and unlearn that, deprogram that from yourself before you can replace it with a new response that you engage in truly intentionally and, and with free choice. And so that's what the an exercise like this one is uh, in part intended to do get rid of, I shouldn't say entirely get rid of, but insert the pause so you can just be there with the phone when it's doing something, namely showing you an icon that really triggers your feelings and your desires and your, and your actions normally. So you then you, you can then build new habits in place of that.
0: I love it. There's a lot of, lot of gems, a lot of good nuggets in there. Um, one of the biggest ones that just stood out for me is just when you're that awareness and understanding the, 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 the power, you you just just take away the power of the attack by being Mm -hmm. aware. And, Mm -hmm. and, and and I'm going to just go this way. Let me know if I'm right or wrong with this, but it's kind of like, I always tell people that there's no such thing as good or bad in life. It's just how Mm -hmm. you see it and the awareness of it. I'm using your words. I say perception, but uh, you know, it's just being able to see something for just what it is rather than, putting meaning behind it. And then when you do that, sometimes if you give your power away, but just being aware, you keep, you could take that power and utilize it. Is that kind of the same thing?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. You know, I think yeah, it's very important with an attack. And, and I use that term broadly punch, a uh, smartphone beeping uh, person at your workplace who you find annoying, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. To be able to step back and see it just, I mean, Think of it scientifically. It's like you're a scientist ob- observing, gathering data. You're not making a judgment about whether this is good or bad, whether that person is a good or bad person. You know, um, there, there is a great book called uh, Meditations on Violence. I think it's uh, Rory Gallagher. Anyway, this person is a experienced martial artist, but also is like a, a uh, SWAT team member, Um, high security prison guard, you know, been in situations where there's really serious, Mm -hmm. serious violence. And, you know, he said one thing he learned from his training was that what gets uh, often people like uh, police officers or security guards more seriously injured or even killed, you know, uh, is that they're in an altercation, they get shot. And their mind starts focusing on how horrible it is that they've just gotten shot. Now, of course, you might say that's understandable, right? It's a natural, it's a natural response. But it, they, they start thinking, oh, my God, this is horrible. I've just been shot. Um, I'm going to be injured for the rest of my life. They're thinking and judging, again, it's understandable, a natural reaction as it might be, kicks into gear. But what he's told them is from studying lots of incidents like this, very often that's what gets people killed because they need to stay in the moment and be able to assess that, you know, this is not easy, but this is what he trains people to do, to assess I've been shot, can I still walk? Very factually, is there a safe place I can get to? Because they might still be under attack and under threat right there may be more bullets coming at them there may be someone else still attacking them if the if the judgment and the fear uh kicks in and layers on top of just being able to see the current situation for what it is that is actually more dangerous to them and is what ends up very tragically you know getting people killed in situations where they might have just been injured and been able to escape i give that as a very extreme example you know it's not the situation most of us ever Fortunately, find ourselves in, but you know I give it as an extreme example because it, it helps to point out the, the, the lower stakes examples <laughs> that where we often find ourselves in. Where you know in, in Buddhism they call it the second arrow. You know is more painful than the first. You have that coworker who annoys you, but if you could just see it as an annoyance and and maybe find a way to move on, it wouldn't be as bad. As if you start telling yourself a story about how, what a horrible person they are, how much you've been wronged by it and why you don't deserve that from them and you ruminate on it, that's the <laughs> second arrow, right? And, and that we often shoot, you know, 50 more arrows at ourselves. And if we could find a way, as you said, to just, just see the situation for what it is. I'm not saying don't feel anything about it. You know, you have a feeling that arises, like like annoyance in that case. Okay, you have that feeling, but can you at that moment uh interrupt that loop of escalation and judgment uh in your mind and step back and and replace that with just an observation of the annoyance, maybe, and see that as a fact that I am now feeling annoyed. All right, I'm feeling annoyed. Uh and and, and doing that can often, as you said, help to diffuse the feeling and help it to not uh, compound on itself.
0: Yeah. And I love the whole second arrow analogy. That's just, uh, it's so true in so many ways. Um, sometimes that second arrow has poison with it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It comes and it comes with technology. And you know, the other thing we need to be self-protective about is that the technology is designed to encourage our our minds and bodies to generate those second arrows in a way that keeps us hooked in to the technology and and what can be pernicious about it and hard to notice is you know I mentioned the second arrow being judgment and, and annoyance and irritation. sometimes it can be a positive one you know you get you go on and you you watch a a, a funny cat video and it feels good you know and uh, it's the good feeling, it's the reward that pulls you back in and keeps you coming back, back more and more and more and turns what a, what might have been, you know, a nice pleasant diversion for a short amount of time into something that's equivalent, you know, to binging on too much sugar where when it's done, you step back and feel, feel well, you know, that didn't really feel very good after all to overdo it by responding to the positive feedback that was generated within yourself. That can be, in a way, just as dangerous as letting the negative overtake you.
0: I love it. And, you know, we talked a lot about habits here and so forth. And what you brought up another, something that just struck my mind where how much, you know, how much patterning happens too when, you know, something happens to someone, they get stuck in a negative pattern. Like, you know, you're saying you see a funny cat video and you pulls you out. But how many times do people, if they're so stuck in that negative spiral and they go down that path and let it bioaccumulate, how much, how much uh, does that, uh, play a role, and how do you break that type of a pattern?
1: Yeah, again, it's it's very hard with technology in a couple of ways. One, because we tend to interact with technology very individually. You know, you're sitting at your computer or with your phone; it's just you and the device. Uh, I say that it can be hard because you know, if there's not another person there who might be able to see you, a friend or a family member who could act as a source of a pull away from that loop, you know? And when the phone is doing something to feed into the loop, to pull you in, then it's really up to you to pull yourself out. And unless you have been practicing the habit of being able to generate your own pause internally so that you can step out of the loop, at least momentarily, and reset yourself and make a new decision about whether to proceed, you 're going to be more likely to just continue down down and down that rabbit hole, um, but there 's lots of ways in which you can practice habits uh, so it, The course I mentioned to tap into mindfulness is is one way. you can also reconfigure your devices to work for you in that way i 'll give a couple of simple examples uh, you know on YouTube. Not that long ago, they introduced a couple of features like you can turn off autoplay, which is the feature which starts at the next video running automatically after Mm -hmm. the previous one stops. (laughs) You can turn that off. Appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, turn it off very easily. And what what do I mean by that? I mean, that means when one video stops, you then have to. make to take an action to start the next one now you may habitually do it but at least it gives you the opportunity to pause more easily than when the video starts automatically it you know it creates a situation where you have to opt in to the next video rather than than opt out you can do the same thing with netflix you know and and you know we've all had the experience of binge watching maybe when we didn't intend to do it and look the the companies are masterful at designing the designing things in a way to pull us in, right? How, when you are watching a series on Netflix, the end of each episode is written and designed to be a cliffhanger. Yep. <laughs> right? I mean, they're they're not just ending at a random point in the story.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's designed. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make a self admission. You know, there's times I said I'm going to watch one, and then I'm at the end of an episode. I said, Ah, I. To watch the beginning of this next one, that's at least with the story my mind is telling me in that moment, right? I have to, I have to. That's I say I call it a story because it's not a fact
0: that I have to watch
1: the next one. (laughs) I love
0: that. I'll I'll always say, I'll just be like, Man, they got me again. I got to go to the next one now. They got (laughs) me. I I can't, I can't let this go. (laughs) That's right. And but you know, if you and I give meditation
1: as an example. It's not the only way you can do it. If you have practiced the habit of being able to step back from your thoughts and see them as thoughts but not as necessarily truth, you know, then you'll be more likely to be able to step back and say, oh, wait a second. That's my mind generating a story that I have to watch the next one. It's not like a law of nature. That I have to actually watch the next one. It's not necessarily true. As compelling as it may feel, doesn't mean that it's true or that I have to act that way. But I'm a big, big proponent of configuring, uh, your devices, uh, using things like do not disturb very, uh, vigorously. Uh, you know, uh, on the iPhone, you, there's now screen time, which a lot of people know as a feature for just tracking how often you're using apps, you can look at it daily or weekly, and it'll tell you you've been on the phone this number of hours a day, you've used these apps this amount of time. But you can also, I think not as many people know about this, put in limits Yeah. that, oh, please stop me from using Facebook after an hour in a day. And if you do go past that time, it pops up a window, which says time limit reached. Now, again, is that an absolute Barrier, no, you could override it, but at least it inserts the pause. It helps you in a way to then be able to step back so that you can decide whether you want
0: to move forward or not. So true. Yeah, and I appreciate that part of it because it it does, it puts a nice uh, uh, awareness to how much are you actually spending time on your phone.
1: And you know it's interesting, you know a big part of this is finding what works best for you um, I've heard a lot of people like you many many people say they have found just the the tracking feature that tells them how much they're using different things extremely valuable and influential on their own behavior um, personally that doesn't work so so well for me. Just having that information uh, is not so influential. I find the Setting limits of time but you know there 's just an interesting fact: different people find different things useful. you know what works for me may not work for you, vice versa. So I always encourage people to experiment, try things out, see what works, and it 's also a way of learning to trust yourself in in learning what works for you and you know that 's another part of our culture. Uh, you know, is that we are very celebrity and expert focused culture. We, we like to turn to people to tell us what to do, yes. you know, and I mean, here I am on your podcast, I'm trying to give people advice, but I try to be, you know, uh, mindful of the fact that I can make suggestions to people, but I don't necessarily know that what has worked for me will work for someone else. Uh, even if something works for 95% of the population, it may not work for another five for, for any number of reasons. And in the end, what's important for people is to seek out information from others. Hey, if you find that something worked for 90% of people, maybe maybe it's really worth trying for you. That's valuable information to have. But in the end, I mean, I would hope people would would engage in all of this as a process of learning best what works for them and that's something i've really appreciated with with meditation teachers i've had you know the ones who i've stuck with are the ones who always say that <laughs> and, yeah. and giving guided meditation oh the, no pay attention to your your breath uh pay attention to but in the end they always remind, remind me that it's it's up to me in the end to explore myself and find what works best for me. I mean, I actually remember I, I took the uh, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction course. It's very famous. Jon Kabat-Zinn found it. I remember when I took that, I really appreciated the teacher I had who said right from the beginning, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of sitting meditation, but when I say sitting, I actually mean find a still position that works for you in the moment. And you be the judge of it, sitting might mean standing for you yeah, <laughs> sitting might might mean laying down for you and and i I found that extremely valuable and and you know she encouraged us to to use the be, very beginning moments of the meditation to find the position that worked for us in that moment as itself a kind of mindfulness exercise. pay attention to what posture feels. You know, how would she put it, most supportive to you in spending the next 10, 20, 30 minutes being mindful. And that's you know, practice in learning to pay attention to yourself and trust your own wisdom about what's best for you. And I remember it being hard. There were, there were certain times where I was the only one standing and everyone else was sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great opportunity for me to, to realize, oh, I, I, then I noticed some self-judgment oh, wait, is this wrong for me to be standing when everyone else is sitting? Is there something something wrong with me? No, 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 wait a second, no, this standing feels best to me right now. It feels like what will best help me to be mindful in the next period of time. So I really encourage people, particularly in this like cult of expertise that we have, mm-hmm. you know, to be be attuned to that and not feel like they have to do what someone else says is the quote, right thing, particularly when we all know the right thing today is often a fad. You know, that's going (laughs) to change.
0: (laughs) So true. So true. Um, so, Robert, I love it. Um, we're going to have to definitely do a part two here because uh, definitely uh, we could definitely chime in on a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I wanna, definitely want to go deeper. But before we end, I just want to give a quick sh- uh, chance for you just to share. It'll be in the show notes anyhow. But um, how can people connect with you?
1: Yeah. The main hub you know, to get in touch with me and see what I and other people are doing at Technology for Mindfulness is technologyformindfulness.com. So we have a blog there. Uh, we actually just revamped the blog be starting to post new stuff today uh, very regularly on the blog. We tend to be very practical on the blog, giving tips of the kinds that I gave today about how to use tech how to use technology how to configure it how to interact with it mindfully and there 's a podcast very much like yours here where I interview people and what I really enjoy about the podcast and, and what I think people who listen to it uh, appreciate is. Uh, we have people from all different walks of life there 's uh, traditional mindfulness meditation teachers there 's neuroscientists there 's anthropologists there 's parents who who are dealing with how to raise their kids you know in the digital age i 'm a big believer in in gaining knowledge and wisdom for where, from wherever it may be found, and in particular because these issues of technology and distraction and, and anxiety uh, parenting relationships they touch on all these different aspects of our lives i'm a believer in finding uh truth you know wherever we can uh, and then the last thing is you can find out about the course tap into mindfulness either at tapintoMindfulness.com or you go right to technology for again and
0: uh go click on course and you can find it there Awesome. Well, I appreciate you, Robert, for uh, sharing some wonderful wisdom here. And then I'm looking forward to a part two. Thanks so much, Dr. Vic. It was a blast. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, .instagram www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to The Mindful Experiment Podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.